Welcome to the Previously Rockhounding podcast, where we explore the world of rockhounding and lapidary from the ye olden days of the 1970s and 80s through the lens of vintage issues of Rock and Gem magazine. If you're a new listener here, the way this works is I read the issue, Sarah reads the issue, we, we don't discuss it at all, and then we come together here on the podcast and share our thoughts on it. Yeah, and we're at episode seven this week, or this ish episode, we're looking at Rockin' Gem magazine from April 1976. And almost all of the things that we're going to be discussing here, uh, you can view them up on the website, currentlyrockhounding.com slash podcast. There's little photos of some of the ads and some of the interesting stuff. So definitely go check that out. You can't get it anywhere else on... Uh, anywhere. Yeah, anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's the word. <laughs> so this issue was the 1976 Rockhound and Lapidary Guidebook. So it is a, a it was a big one. Yeah, it was definitely more page wise. It was only yes. a couple. It was only a couple of pages more actually. Really? Yeah. It um, looks thicker. There's the pages were there's more glossy pages. Yeah, there. there's more glossy pages in it and. Just generally speaking, I felt like it was more content-rich than what yeah. some of the previous ones were. Yeah, I certainly noted significantly more than I have in any other issue so far. I have six pages of typed notes here. So. I don't have that much. Yeah, well, <laughs> I do. But I, I mean, I know there was a lot of content ad-wise and column-wise as well as just regular articles so yeah so let's, a lot, a we lot should probably, get to it yeah we should start with the ads uh well one thing i need to look at when i'm looking at the ads is ads that are not for rock or lapidary equipment i do that as well because there's really not many i mean i've mentioned before like there was one that said like donate blood to the red cross or mm. there's one for like a safe this one had a number of things. Uh, there was one, an ad for giant binoculars that astronomers, big game hunters, orth- ornithologists, yachtsmen, four-wheelers all agree you must own a pair. I saw that as well. <laughs> it's completely ridiculous. You have, like, the littlest kid holding up what is most likely normal normal-sized pair yeah. of binoculars. But they look, at, they look extra, I mean, extra big. I don't know. Have we really used binoculars we've used them when we're out rock hounding like look over there at that bird or like what's that structure on top of that mountain or hill over there but i don't know if we've used it like in, to aid in our rock hounding so I, I mean i guess it is a very good complementary item to rock hounding yeah i mean it's a little fun like when we're out and sometimes we see birds yeah, while I pull right. them out, but really not like, what's that rock over there? Yeah. Let's get the binoculars. Uh, they were expensive. Oh, they were very expensive. Um, they were, the more expensive ones were some 20 by 80s, uh-huh. and they were $159.95. That's so like $500. When you adjust it for inflation, 812 Oh, yeah, that's a lot. Um, in today's money. That's a lot. So the company uh, who put that ad uh-huh. is called Novatron, uh-huh. and there's another company. I don't, I would try to look it up if they were related. Uh-huh. 
Celestron? I don't know if that, like, Novatron and Celestron are are similar, like, a... a, 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 Is this what they formed into? Hmm. But uh, today, on Amazon, you can buy some 20 by 80s for $157. So, in 1976, you could buy some 20 by 80s for 160. Now, 160, basically. Same price. Um... Which that's funny to like yeah. think about like they're the, the same price. I mean, a, a economy of scale, like yeah. you know, um, yeah, th- those definitely stand out um, mm. as as a lot. Um, another couple ads that were a little bit of a stretch. Uh, there's two ads for bags. One was a rock hound bag, ideal for carrying lunch, rocks, first aid kit, specimens, or what have you, and it was. 10 inches by 12 inches by two and three quarter inches. Which it was, was a purse. Yeah, it's pretty small. Did you pick up on that it's red? Yeah, I did like that it's a bright red canvas. <laughs> I thought that's smart. But I feel like it's just like somebody got like a couple of pallets of purses and they're like, Rockhound bag. Well, <laughs> the company selling it was United Abrasives. Oh, I didn't see. I yeah. didn't pick up on that. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't. No. Yeah, were they like buying some type of like surplus? Like, because I, I think I know United Abrasives and they make like sandpapers and like different grit. Yeah, product. I don't. Like, that's funny. Yeah, I thought it was just an odd thing all around. Um, well, that's also ridiculously small. Yeah, like you can put even a lunch and rocks, like barely fit like a bottle of water. Did they, they didn't have, did they have bottle of water? <laughs> Bottled water in the 70s? They definitely had canteens of water. Well, like I'm thinking like a little plastic. That's a very, I know they had like water bottles like that you'd have for like a bicycle. Right. Those existed. Just like a throwaway, single use, pack case of 24 you buy from a, you know. No, you just drink like Miller High Life or uh, Miller MGD Long Necks. Yeah, but aren't those more than two and three quarter inch no, like you could put a diameter? Beer, you could put all your, you could definitely put a six pack of beers in this rock counting purse. I think so. One way to find out. Contact United Abrasives. <laughs> be like, one purse, please. <laughs> there was a, uh, I think there was, let's see, was there, there's another one. Yeah, there's another, what, another bag? No, you, you Okay, continue. there's another bag. It was just a leather pouch, and it wasn't really for rock hounding. It's just, like, leather pouch made by stash bags. But I thought it was interesting because it was horse hide. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't sell them. Well, people would be into that now. No. But, it was, yeah, just, like, a leather bag, like a little per- – yeah, it didn't even have any connection to rock hounding, but – one of the ad, there was an ad that uh, really stood out that you really wouldn't see nowadays, and that was somebody selling carved elephant ivory. Huh. And obviously, there's laws against like poaching elephants and cutting their tusks off. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, not something you would really no. ever see uh, mm-hmm. at all. Um, there uh, there was an ad from Good Now Gems. Good Now Gems USA, and it was a full-page color ad selling Parrot Wing, which was a Mm -hmm. new discovery from Mexico. And the ad reads, Parrot Wing is an agatized stone of bright green, yellow, dark green, red, brown, and black, and blue chrysocolla, and it's found in almost every piece. Uh, Occasional pieces 
maybe entirely bright green or blue chrysocolla. This material is well agatized and quite hard, takes a good polish. Um, and they were selling it, uh, they, well, they suggested in the ad that you should buy at least two pounds mm-hmm. at $12 a pound. Mm-hmm. So like $24, um, which that was a lot of money back then. Um, but I thought it was interesting because, you know, we when we read these magazines, we come across trade names for mm-hmm. rocks where you're like, what the heck is this? Like yeah. this thing, like turtle shell. Right. And you're like, okay, what's a turtle shell? You try, We try to look it up, but we find nothing. Parrot wing is still a thing. Huh. Um, as kind of a trade name for like Chris Cola with like different swirly patterns in it. And like, you can just hop on Etsy right now and type in like parrot wing and you'll definitely find some. So I thought that was interesting to find a trade name yeah, that's that not still there. Lost to time. Yeah. Hmm. Um. There was a full page ad from gemstone wonderland and they had a full page ad that called they just called the ad fire sale (laughs) and like the font was like drawn like the words were burning uh and they were selling boxes so you could like buy individual things but they were selling like a parcel like you could get a bunch of different stuff um and they had uh one parcel which they called the red hot parcel Mm. (laughs) and it was uh, all stuff from australia it was five pounds of dendritic agate, five pounds of Queensland agate, which I don't know what that is, like uh, five pounds of yellow moss, five pounds of tigri, and five pounds of uh, chrysophase. And it was forty-five fifty, which is 250 bucks in today's money. And they're just like, that's just, I can't imagine. Well, that's like 25 pounds altogether. Yeah. But I can't imagine today buying... 250 pounds of stuff sight on scene. Yeah, that's the sight like, on scene seems... I, I know I'm very spoiled in that, like, we have the internet. <laughs> like, ain't there no, there's no way anybody's selling any type of rock on the internet with without showing it. I don't know. Maybe if you buy, like, a bunch of rough, they're probably not showing you all... Maybe not that, but, like... Generally, yeah, like you're spending two hundred fifty dollars. Yeah, if you have an established relationship, like if I made an eBay posting right yeah. now and just copied this stuff, no photos, it would get zero bids. Yeah, I don't know. Does eBay, does eBay even let you sell without a photo now? I don't know. I can't remember the last time I saw an Probably ad without not. a photo. Yeah. Um, there was an ad that I didn't really get for junior jewelry polishing and buffing set and i couldn't tell if it was like four kids or just small and they're calling it junior i mean hmm. they had like a photo of a kid using it but i'm like i don't know was where they mark our kids into like like an all-in-one machine and they're like it's only six pounds and so it's good for kids because it's light like I mean, you wouldn't be moving around that's... It was definitely interesting when you see the, some of the stuff marketed to kids in these. Yeah. You're like, this is, I can't imagine what the water testing kit that we had yeah. saw in the previous like, episode. Like Today's kids would not be into that. Yeah, they don't want to have a water testing kit for their birthday. Or a all-in-one jewelry polishing and buffing set. <laughs> there was probably one of the more interesting ads I've seen up to this point. Um not so much because of the message, but because of the artwork mm-hmm. in it. And it was the Chaparral Rockhounds. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they had a really 
odd looking ad with a very, very normal message. So, I mean, there's a simple ad. They're just like promoting a rock show. This is the, like the Rocky Mountain Federation show in Roswell, New Mexico. And, you know, it's just like what you would expect, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but the artwork, the artwork was like the most 70s style artwork. It was very, uh, very odd, odd choice of graphic. Um, it has a woman holding a crystal and she's looking at it with this like loving gaze. It had an old timey miner holding his pick to the air and yelling with a glowing gold pan. Uh, it had a Spanish conquistador pointing a sword. And uh, it had a sitting woman and she had no pants on. <laughs> like you could see her butt cheeks. I she... know what you're talking about. I thought I wrote something down for that. Yeah, you I could see her butt it. cheeks like like squishing out like she's sitting on the ground. Yeah, it was... And I was like, what is what is this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> That, uh, but there's there what is what kind it, of show is that with like that weird motif yeah the weird rocky mountain i wonder what that rocky mountain west federation show yeah. was it was like but there's a there'll be a photo up on the website currently rockhoney.com slash podcast and then it's under show seven you can see <laughs> see this ad for yourself which it's uh quite quite the, the sight to behold i swear i Wrote something down for that, and we, I, but I'm not seeing it. Did you write down how amazing it was? <laughs> I think it was. I saw it in the last, actually, the last issue. I think I just didn't describe it very well. I saw another ad for a show at the Eastern Federation Gem and Mineral Show in Massachusetts, and it was a pretty big ad, and it wasn't like fancy like that there wasn't any lady butts on it <laughs> but it just said describe the stuff that they were going to have there and it sounded like a cool show you could see the world's largest faceted gemstone which is a 12,000 carat piece of topaz that's cool they said there'd be 60 dealers they had trips to historical bicentennial sites and field trips lectures and micro mounting oh and i was like that sounds like a great show versus like shows we go to are like okay we're gonna like see people selling the same stuff basically and like hopefully there's some good cases yeah versus like lectures field trips so, uh, only 60 dealers for like i feel like most of the shows we go to have at least 60 dealers yeah. if not more like thing to look at the world's largest faceted gemstone like it's much more of like a destination like day spend a day at a thing versus like walk around and look at stuff you want to buy there's lectures and symposiums at tucson mm, yeah. and they definitely have an educational aspect to that show mm -hmm. and that's not something i've ever really seen covered in like social media or things yeah. like that people talk about it people will talk about like some of the classes or huh. and stuff uh like mindat or whatever um if anybody out there wants to just buy me a, a plane ticket down to tucson i'm happy happy to go cover the symposiums and they have a micro mounting symposium which yeah i mean you don't see micro mounting mentioned much so that was interesting <laughs> interesting that they're like we have it here did you have any other ads you wanted to talk about um yeah there's a couple there's one I don't know if we've talked about this one, but I know we've seen ads that are like, invest, invest mm -hmm. in these rocks. And this one was like, invest, invest, invest. 
the world is running short of genuine stones. Oh. And like, sure, sure it is. And yeah. today when we go rock hounding, everything's plastic. Yep. No more genuine, no more genuine ran stones. Ran out. <laughs> um, That's funny. I definitely think this one had more ads than usual. I mean, yeah. it's like the... I'm not sure if this, it's the, you know, 1976 Rock Hound and Lapidary Guidebook. Do they do one every year? I think so. I yeah, think they do so one every like, year. This is like the big one where like, God, get my ad into this. This is the one people, they have more circulation. Well, maybe you can update this. You should count the number of ads in this one and count the number of ads in the next one. That's a lot. That's a lot of counting. <laughs> um, there was a couple things that, again, weren't rocks or lapidary equipment but they were more rock lapidary adjacent um there was a company called westland physics selling a gold rush game it was like a card game hmm. and they're selling the card game and then they're selling like six pieces of like pyrite with a little instruction sheet like separately for some reason i didn't they didn't really explain what the game was i guess just like people who are like i'm into gold and i have grandkids send away for the gold rush game i'm hmm. not sure how they were expecting to sell it um there was a rockhound guided tour to mexico that they're like they're like right for information no obligation and like the person lived in like new jersey hmm. it's like that seems hard to organize a guided trip when you live in new jersey to mexico but they did not say their prices or any very much detail. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of guided trips. There's, there's a couple of people doing guided trips still. But it's. I personally think they are very, very expensive yeah. for what you get, which they're only. It's not like generally they're not taking you to private property, yeah. they're not taking you to claims. They are taking you out to public lands that you can just go to yourself. So. Yeah, I don't know if you didn't want to do any, you had no confidence in yourself to do research. You're just like, I want to go rock hunting in Mexico. This guy will take me. Instead of spending hours and hours like pl researching, planning an itinerary, getting the books. Maybe international is a little different. I mean, if, you, if you're... Also pre-internet. Yeah, pre-internet. Yeah, that makes it a little harder. <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll I'll give you that. Um, last one was uh, there was an ad for a new find, Biggs Jasper. <laughs> we no, because it's funny because we've seen Biggs Jasper in previous issues. Like, but was it like relatively new in the seventies? They're like big. It was like a shop, and it was placing like in Bigs, and they're like Bigs Agate and New Fine, Bigs Jasper. Yeah, it was. Oh man, was it '68? Is when the Highway 97 Bigs Jasper discovery happened when they had the big washout. Hmm. I'm, I'm I'm not 100 percent on that. You guys can correct me. Go back and watch the China Hollow video. <laughs> Newish. Yeah. Less than 10 years. Yes, I guess you can still call that new. So the, the, the glory hole, the editor's column, mm -hmm. was a little meh this time around. Yeah. Like he's still, so uh, hopefully you've listened to some of the previous previously rock-hounding podcasts. Uh, the editor went down to Baja, uh, Baja, California, and uh, had written a couple, of, wrote an article, and he's been talking about it in the column like every single month. <laughs> Uh, I actually bought the book, so we have we have that. Um, but yeah, he's just kind of like 
continuing yeah. chatting about going down to Baja, which yeah. I get it. Like, that's probably good content because... <laughs> That's um, probably what he was doing for a very long time. Maybe I shouldn't have skipped ahead and read and bought the book. Yeah, maybe we should. Because the book didn't come out until after uh, this. So. Um, yeah, he was like trying to promote his book. Pretty much. And it's funny, too, because if you bought all of these Rock and Gem magazines and then you bought the book, you'd have been like, oh, like there's like nothing in the book that's not in the magazine. Mm. He's basically taking little chunks and just like kind of adapting them, like even the photos are the same, huh. but still, but it's kind of that's cool, right? It's a big must. Wasn't he only there like, like twelve days? Twelve days. I mean, it's not that much time, but <laughs> I probably spent a lot of time thinking about it and making the book and writing stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah, there wasn't much to that. I didn't really note much on most of the columns. So. Um, I noted a lot on the frantic fumbler because months ago. He put out a call in some earlier issues looking for ideas on how to use lapidary equipment for non-lapidary uses. Yeah. And this month, we have the winning ideas of those that were submitted. So what – there's just so many I, – I, I could have uh, – there's a lot of very silly things uh, that he, he chose to, to pick. Um, one of the ideas was to use your rock tumbler to churn butter. You can just put all the ingredients in the tumbler, seal it up, and start it going, and butter. Gritty butter. <laughs> uh, a 60-80 grit butter. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, uh, what? I mean, it was like one one guy, one like kid who had a bunch of silly ideas that he printed, and it was like, oh, you could use it for washing things, like one single sock. <laughs> like, <Put> your t- <laughs> I like that one. Uh, so using the rock tumbler as a washing machine, yeah. you can only put a sock in it. It's mm-hmm. great for a college kid with a yeah. dirty sock. One sock. <clears throat> um, I mean, the obvious of using your grinder for on your nails. Mm-hmm. That's obvious. I like the what they said you put your graham crackers in in your tumbler and it becomes crumbs and you make a pie crust. <laughs> I like the taking your uh, vibratory lap and heating it and then you put pancakes and eggs on it and then it has a grid texture wow. so that it won't slide off your plate. Yeah. <laughs> because that's not your gonna... plate also has a grid texture to interlock. <laughs> They didn't get that far in oh. the idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that's. I mean, if you really think about it, like, there's probably a million like off uses for some of this stuff. I mean, I don't yeah. know. Especially other hobbies, like, I mean, there's like an overlap of metalworking and stoneworking, like where the polishing of things can kind of all coalesce. But that's not really, I guess, like an off off uh, use uh, the shop talk uh, I kind of thought that the shop talk column was a little lame this month <laughs> um, it talked about shells and how many rock and lapidary shops have been starting to sell shells as like a side item and how to work with them in your own shop and I'm just like I don't know like I really didn't think going into this podcast project that there's going to be as much shell-related things, yeah. but... They're really trendy. Yeah, I guess they were. 70s. Like, I don't... I just... 
I don't I don't think of some of this stuff as being a thing anymore. Now, granted, we do not go to many rock shops, but I don't think of rock shops nowadays as having shells, having sideline items, having a lot of dyed stuff. Like one thing that we saw previously was uh, shops having selling rock dye. So you could just yeah. like be like, I'm, I'm going to take my quartz and I'm going to dye it blue. Like that's not really a thing that I think anybody's doing. No. So. Yeah. We kind of have another column that was really uh, extended out. Um, so one thing that we don't typically talk about on podcast is like the what's new column because it's really just like a it's usually pretty short and it just is like this company came out with this product this company came out with this product and there's like a brief description of it and and some of them duplicate like it's really uh, just like kind of an ad almost yeah like it's I, like, I think yeah. it's like companies send stuff to the magazine and they in exchange they like print a little paragraph about it probably that's so kind of an ad. Is there any electron microscope manufacturers out there? Anybody want to se- you send me an XRF gun and we'll mention I will mention I will mention it. For the low low price of $28,000, you too can be mentioned here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so that's the what's new column. They significantly expanded it for this issue for what's new for the entire year. Um, they mention, they describe their what's new column as reflecting the ingeniousness of our advertisers every month. So, yeah, I guess it is, it's their advertisers also being like, here's our ad, here's our money for the ad, here's some equipment too. So mm-hmm. it's like, I guess that's how it is. And it was just a long, long list of, <laughs> products to yeah. buy. Yeah, some of them did stand out to me. Uh, one of the first things that stood out was the vertical wet belt sander from Covington Engineering, mostly because I want one. Oh. <laughs> um, other than, yeah, and that's the only thing about that. I was just like, I like this. I want one. Um, the I don't answer, know. Was that pretty early in the list? Yeah, that was like one of the first things. Like, how I mean, how closely did you read it when you're like, okay, page four, page five? I read it. I read it all. Did you zone out? Mm, I didn't. I probably yeah. <laughs> uh, they had an ad. I don't. Know, I'm gonna say ad. I'm gonna call them ads. Uh, or one of the products was the Gemstar 6000, which was a convertible machine that you could change from a trim saw to a horizontal lap. So for modern listeners, think like uh, like the high-tech high diamond brand stuff. Like imagine if you were able to take that trim saw, the little six-inch trim saw, and stand it on the other end. So now it's flat and just put a flat lap disc on it. Because basically all this lapidary stuff is just turning around thing. It's like different methods of spinning something around. Hmm. So uh, th- that. Um, that was one thing that you, you don't see much of anymore, like kind of convertible things, mm-hmm. uh, probably because they're not the best. Oh. You know, It's like uh, a Swiss Army knife kind of is handy, but it sucks at all the things. Yeah. Like it's not the best knife. It's not the best saw. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's just 
because what what you have um but yeah i think just generally speaking as we went through i went through this list of products uh there's a lot of multi-function machines that you just don't see anymore and you know it's the whole kind of poorly uh, it's poor they're generally poorly designed versus a dedicated machine um, even though even today, like the lower tone, they have their combo units, companies make some combo units, but it's not like this weird, like, okay, flip the whole machine over, yeah. brand new machine. Yeah. Like that's huh. not really a, a thing. Uh, one of the f- first items was the world's smallest binoculars. <laughs> and then uh, like literally the next page was the ad for the giant binoculars. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Like. Did they do that on purpose? I would like to think that they had a, somewhat of a sense of humor. But also, like, I again, what am I using the world's smallest binoculars for? Being a spy. I guess. Um, there was one product was a home protection system. So, like, an alarm to put on your door and window. It was kind of an elaborate, like, write-up on it as Yeah, well. it was, which... Sure, like if you're making jewelry or you have a lot of equipment, then you might be interested in a home prote- home security system. But I don't know if it's so. What did some, they send the editors of Rock and Gem the home security system and and that's, did somebody already have it and then they yeah. reached out and like you should be an advertiser. I mean, that's quite like the cold cold call to be like. Rock and gem, home security system. Yes, these two things go together. And rocks. Um, there, there was an item called a thermal reaction tester. Did yeah. You, did you read this uh-huh. one? Okay, so a thermal reaction tester for detecting oil-treated rubies, sapphires, and emeralds. And it can also detect if turquoise has been wax-treated or plastic impregnated, like stabilized. Um so you, the listener, how do you think this device works? Well, hopefully you said uh, it burns it because basically it's a it's a soldering iron. Yeah. It's a soldering iron, and they're just like, yeah, it gets hot. It's like a little box, a little like a transformer box and a pen, mm-hmm. and it just get the tip gets hot, and you're like, is this thing got wax in it? Like melt it, yeah. like test this, like oh, does this will this burn? I'm like. Look, that's quite the stretch. Also, are you going to be like going up at like a <laughs> at a show and be like, yeah, hmm, let's see, does this melt? And then like you melt something? Like, no, like. What? Yeah, I, I mean, how much? Seems like a very niche product, anyway. I mean, you should hopefully be able to visually tell. Um, but yeah, yeah. like potentially wrecking your. Thing that you bought by melting it a little or if you're testing before buying yeah i guess you that's how you like get the seller to really fess up if you're like oh really nothing plastic in this let me just take my hot pen and stick it right on it swat it out of your hand yeah. <laughs> uh the only less i mean there's a lot of equipment that i don't really have much interest in so i didn't really go too in-depth on it. The only other thing I noted was the Bond Solve Bond Solvent for injury protection. Mm-hmm. So when you get glue on you, you'll take the glue off. And they're like, it's the only place that makes this. It's 
not proprietary, but they're the only place that makes it's Bond solvent. Okay. I can't remember what it is, but it's not proprietary. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the chemical. Yeah, it's not. They're just yeah. people putting. Uh, they were, were like Bond solvent. What could we call this? Bond solvent. I know Bond solve. <laughs> that's how they made their money. Bond solve. Well, there is a number of articles in this one, probably more than uh, some of the previous ones. Um, some were obviously better than others. Yeah. Um, a couple I, I really I really liked. Um, I didn't... The article, number one, Rockhound Trail in the USA. Um, you know, it's pretty much was an article uh, describing the different localities along Highway 395, uh, interesting like rocks and minerals that you can find. So Highway 395 runs from the Mojave Desert through like Eastern California, and it, like I forget if it dips into Nevada. Just yeah. It, yeah. And then they and that. then heads up through um, Eastern Oregon mm-hmm. and then into Eastern Washington. So it, they weren't really like a lot of details but they're like oh if you're when you're in this town you can find blank 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 yeah it was it was uh very generic like general kind of advice it wasn't like pull off here there's this road and then go up here and you'll find this it was just kind of like in this area there's this yeah like an example of some of the generalness of it uh they said when you get to the burns area in oregon Around the town of Burns, rockhounds try to find black dendrites and white plume agate, but you may have to travel further east to do so. That's all they said. They're just like, yeah, it's kind of around, but you might have to go somewhere else. Like, wait a second, how how did you come to, how did you come to this conclusion? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they mentioned, I I mean, so they start in like central California, like. Southern California. It's it, whatever. Yeah, it's like down in the Mojave. So it's kind of like uh, 395 starts to the east of San Diego, basically. So I mean, I'm not familiar with that, but I'm only familiar with more northern Oregon. And they're like, oh, Burns, Ochico, and then they're just like gold, and you just have gold there. Like, there's so much more stuff out. A yeah. lot of stuff out there, just not gold, but a lot of stuff they mentioned, I don't know, it's kind of like, it, it took me some time to get into it, because they weren't like, okay, we're driving this road, it goes from here, we're going to go from here to here, and they're just like, oh, start here, and this, oh, this place, yeah, you could go there, but it, it was, it's closed now, oh, yeah, you could go here, it's sold now, and they're like, oh, yeah, there's a rock shop. Oh yeah, there's active mines around here. Oh, there's a ghost town around here. Like it was. I, I wondered if they had were even driving it, or if they were just taking knowledge, pre-existing yeah. knowledge and like putting it together. Like, you know, almost like if you're asking somebody, like, oh, what's out here? And you're like, oh, there's some of this, uh-huh. some of that, and like, you know, I mean, if somebody was just like, Jared, tell me what you can find in Central Oregon, yeah. and be like, I don't know, thunder eggs, agates, limcast, yeah. obsidian. It's just kind of like that. Um, I mean, I don't think they were... They didn't indicate that they had actually driven it. Yeah, but... And it's a really long ways. Yes. And they're saying, like, go off to this town here and go so, like... You know, I, don't, I just wasn't clear on what the 
the point of it was that were they saying you should drive this? I think so. Because they didn't drive it, so I mean, <laughs> why should I drive well, it? Well, they also stopped at the Oregon Washington. Right, border. I know. Like I they, got towards I, the end. I was end. thinking, like, cool, they're gonna get up to Washington, and that's we live in Washington, yeah. and I'll be able. We live in the the desert. We live in the eastern eastern Washington. I'm like, cool, they're gonna get up here. We drive on 395 yeah, all the time. Let's see what they have to say. Oh no, they're just yeah. like done. And then it just Washington stopped. doesn't exist. Don't go. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it was very disappointing that they stopped. At, yeah. I mean, why? How much more effort to just do the rest of Washington? I know. I mean, they're just being very generic. They could have like got some mine ma- maps of like mining districts and been like, "Yep, mines." There you go. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, all the places they mentioned in this are from the Gem and Mineral Atlas, mm-hmm. which I bet you could go in and they're just like, "Yeah." Yeah, I bet you all of those things are uh, on there, which. Sure. Also, I was trying to, why did they call it number one rock trail in the USA? Oh, they've said that about a couple of different yeah, things. Yeah, they're like, I was like, oh, is it like Highway 1? Is it like a, is it, no, I just, they just said number one rock hound trail. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't the best. I guess they were just, they weren't, I don't think at any point in time did, when they were publishing this in the 70s, were they like, Somebody's going to be reading these back to back to back to back every week and critiquing yeah. them uh, 45 years later. They probably didn't think that. They, they didn't. Still, um. <laughs> you can be like, hey, how many number one best ever Rockhound Spot articles can we do? Maybe like be a little more creative. Mm-hmm. That's all. There was an article that... I really liked, and that was homemade equipment, because I am a fan of jerry-rigged, cheap, and interesting stuff that people make. Uh, You know, do lapidary, cut rocks, stuff like that. Uh, So it was an article kind of exploring Michael Reeves' homemade equipment. Who is the guy who made the bear claw jewelry a couple issues ago. Yes. Um, But he made a central... centrifugal caster inside of a tub salvaged from a washing machine. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, it spins inside this and, uh, it's like, spins out the molten silver, as an example. Um, he turned an old sewing machine with a foot pedal uh, into a trim saw, mm-hmm. which that's pretty cool. And he also made his own mud saw, mm-hmm. which that nobody... I, I don't think many people probably listening even know what a mud saw is. Do you know what a mud saw is? I mean, it was a really, really big saw. Yeah, but do you know what a mud saw is? Mm, he said it was a mud saw because the, like, dirt and water mix. I don't know. What is so, it? So, okay, um, modern-day lapidary saws are uh, you have a, a metal disc, a blade, and you have diamonds on the edge, and that mm. cuts. That, well, it doesn't cut. It grinds the rock away. Okay. Mud saw, imagine you don't have diamonds, you don't have synthetic diamonds, real diamonds, whatever you're using. Well, you just take that, you just cut the metal disc out of like a piece of sheet steel, Mm -hmm. and the mud is um, grit in water, like you'd have for a tumbler. So like, it cuts like ridiculously slow. Like, like imagine cutting at one sixteenth the speed of a diamond blade, but... You can just make it at home, and it's very cheap. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you don't care about like a hundred hours to cut through a rock, like that's 
that's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought it was interesting. Like mud saws are not something anybody does anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe in like third world countries, but even they uh, have gotten away from the mud saw, I think. Oh. Yeah. Um, you know, it was like described all of the random things he made his equipment from, like pieces of old cars, stoves. Sewing and washing machines, back scratchers, bricks, and rubber balls. He didn't say how he used the back scratcher. He didn't. <laughs> That's also a thing I don't see much of anymore. Back scratchers? Yeah. Yeah. I remember as a kid growing up, uh, a back scratcher, and it was like, uh, like it was wood. Yeah. It was like wood stick, and like the hand was plastic, and it was like yeah. a little person's hand. <laughs> Uh, I thought it was interesting, the guy's story about how he got into rocks. He said he, like, went to a gem show, and he hadn't had any exposure to, like, rocks in Lapidary, and he, like, went there, and he was like, oh, this is awesome, and he sold his hunting and fishing gear and started making his own Lapidary yeah. stuff. I thought that was cool. I'm not sure someone would go to a rock show now and be like, time to give up my hobbies and get into this. No more guns. I'm just going to have rocks. Yeah. I don't know. That's, I, it I, is a transition. I gave people. up some hobbies yeah. in getting into this more. Like I sold my lathe. Yeah. I got out of some metalworking stuff. And, you know, um, but would you go to a rock show and then be like, time, this is the hobby for me? Possible. The rock shows were like they were in the 70s. Yes. Now, not so much. Yeah, that's true. Speaking of rock shows, there was an article, our first rock show. And yeah. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. Um, was... You know, I, I like the article. It's about a, a couple's uh, first rock show that they vended at. And I thought it was neat. Was to... it their first rock show they vended or the first one they like went to? Because it sounded like they didn't know what to expect. <laughs> Sarah throwing the magazine around. Well, there's a great quote. I want to be ready. <laughs> um, it was the first one that they had vended at, and then they they also like were walking around. I think I didn't fully grasp whether or not it was the first one they ever been to, but it was definitely the first one that they yeah. vended at. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I thought it was um, really really good like to kind of have that like a little bit of insight into that, well, that kind of process i guess and they were selling jewelry that they had made yeah and they also were doing had an educational like how a cab is made kind of display and he was doing demonstrations too i love that when we go to a show and we see cases and it's like the rough rock yeah and then like a slab mm -hmm. and then or, like, it's rough rock and then, like, a polished slab and then a finished cab of the material so you three, yeah. see all three stages of it. Like, mm -hmm. uh, everybody, if you put a display case together, please do that because I enjoy it. <laughs> well, he was, like, he also, like, wrote up some little short paragraphs to go with each step and, mm -hmm. like, used simple basic language so everyone would understand. And he said people loved it. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody that goes to shows, even today... Yeah, like the pretty, you can be like, ooh, pretty rocks. But if you're like, ooh, pretty rocks, and oh, this is where they came from, and this is like what they are, well, and this is, you You're know, the person who made it standing right in front of me? Yeah, it's the context of yeah. it, you know? 
like that really kind of set some set stuff apart um there was one part in that where you know he was like oh like we talked to so many good people and um he was talking to someone who said when you study a new piece of rock found in the field how do you know it will polish up halfway decent and the guy says by its feel and he says no next rock you pick up try the tongue test lick the surface wait one second lick it again if there's any noticeable drag it's not polishable it's probably not polishable that sounds disgusting i have a beautiful (laughs) red piece of cinnabar an orbiment that would, two would licks. disagree. Two licks on it. Oh, yeah. Don't uh, don't go putting stuff. But in also, off. like, what's the? I mean, he's, that, mi- he's missing. Old, if that guy was alive today, he'd probably be on a Facebook group giving that advice. And <laughs> he's missing the step of like, make sure it's really clean and okay to put your mouth on. I don't, but I don't get. So you like get it wet, and then you. Get it wet again and see if there's drag. Like that doesn't make any sense. Well, kind of. What's the idea? So the idea is you're testing the porousness of it, right? Like. Can you just use your eyeballs? Yes. (laughs) Yes, you can just use your friggin' eyeballs and look at something and be like, is this very uh, porous, like a volcanic rock with little bubbles, or is it uh, something like a quartz crystal that? was not formed um, in an igneous manner and has no gas bubbles and is very, very solid. You can use your fingers, right, and do that. Feel it. You can, if you're really concerned, um, you can also get stuff wet. With your mouth. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, that feels like, uh, I don't know, was it just like an old-timer trying to, like, trick the new guy? No, it was just an idiot saying dumb stuff. That's all that is. That's all that is. You know how many rocks our dog has peed on? A lot. Yeah. You know what? Too bad she doesn't pee on it twice and then rub her paw to see if it's. I'm gonna I'm gonna teach like a to, to pee on only agates oh. and then we'll leave agates places. Urine soaked mm-hmm. agates. Yeah, I, I also wrote down that quote, typed it up. That <laughs> <laughs> was ridiculous. Um, there, there is an article that I wish was much longer, and that was the miniatures mm-hmm. of George Holloway. Like, I saw that, and I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Oh, wait, no, but it's like one paragraph. Yeah, it was very um, short. Yeah, so it was a very short article showcasing the collection of George Holloway. He had a, a very impressive collection of thumbnail specimens. Well, they're saying they're miniatures in that it's under two inches, or like fits in a two-inch box. Yeah. So that was like the criteria for them. So they're not like super tiny things. They they go in the thumbnail size box. Sure. Um, so depending on how much of a purist you want to be, uh, thumbnail boxes are generally looked at as being like an inch and a quarter by an inch and a quarter being Mm -hmm. a thumbnail. And then people will be like, yeah, but like this is also a thumbnail and it's like the Federation rules or like a two by two square. People are like, okay, well that's a toenail. (laughs) And like, I don't know why we're comparing everything. There are are thumbs and toes. Um, But 
basically just like very beautiful small specimens mm-hmm. and uh he had a very like imp- impressive collection yeah. and uh it was kind of um yeah he was talking about like going and competing at the federation show which mm-hmm. that so there's the whole world of competing at shows um does that still happen it does at the federation level. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know of any local. I mean, sometimes at a local rock and mineral show, there will be like a best case mm-hmm. where you go through the door and they give everybody a ticket. Yeah. And you walk around, you look at all the cases, and you write the number on it, and then you like dump it in a box on your way out, and you like. And that's just like a popularity vote. Yeah, who has the nicest case yeah. like, type of a type of a thing. Um, but the Federation shows, like, there's, like, strict criteria. Even with a Federation display case, they'll be, like, I think it's, you can only have 10 items in your display case. Um, or for things like micros and thumbnails, they take into account, like, the ratio of space within the, the box, presentation. Like, there's a lot of, like, stylistic things hmm. that they account for. Um, I mean, it just seems like who can buy the most nice looking and correctly shaped sized mineral yeah how much money do you want to yeah i mean i don't really it doesn't i guess you have to have an eye for knowing like what is the right size and what's going to look good in a box a little tiny box but it doesn't really seem like it reminds me a little bit of the, the like the rock tumbling competitions where people cheat oh yeah. How? Like, go take it. Go. You, here, okay. You want to cheat at a rock tumbling contest. What you do is you take your rocks and you grind them out on a cab machine. You fully shape them so they're flawless, right? And then you finish tumble them in a vibratory tumbler so that they just have that, like, beautiful wet polish all the way around. And it's all very similar. There's no standouts. And you're the best. The way to guarantee that you're going to lose at a rock tumbling contest is use a rotary tumbler and hope that you're going to have successful stuff. Because the way these contests work is, let's say, like your blank club, and you put out an ad or you have it up on your website, and people pay you money, and you send them the rock. Like, oh. you don't get to pick the rock. They, gave, oh. they give you the rock, and you send them, your, like, your top three back. You just cheat. That's what I think a lot of people do, um, and that's just my take on it. Because at least you're doing something like you need the skill to shape mm-hmm. the rock and have the vibratory tumbler versus just like, I mean, now you're just like scroll through eBay and you like find something and you buy it and you're like, sweet, this is the right size and it looks cool. Put it in a little box hope i win yeah it doesn't seem i don't know i just think like skill should be involved in con i kind of competition i kind of like the display cases because like that's more subjective Mm -hmm. because it's random people walking through the show and not your fellow club members yeah you know um so that's that's the thing and then you can really be like oh like what has the nicest presentation like Mm -hmm. I don't know, whatever. Also, it said his miniatures were displayed at shows, which mm-hmm. we've read a few times of, like, this guy has this collection and he's going to display it at this show, or, like, this guy's miniatures, he displayed it at this show, or 
that lady's like found object art was like in demand for all the local shows like I think something like that would be it seems like the they don't mention like cases so I don't know when rock shows started having cases cases have always been a thing but then they would also reach out to people yeah, with extra like, cool collections yeah there's no like it sounds like they had exhibits and mm-hmm. that would be cool to have yeah i agree <laughs> i don't know uh, why that went away but the cases stayed i guess it's just hard to find someone whose stuff you want to exhibit or i'm not sure why but people like looking at i mean most people going to the rock show they're just looking at most of the stuff anyway they're not buying yeah much Maybe i mean make, a couple make, pieces make people have exhibits again yeah um, um you did skip over one article minerals for a bicentennial year did you write anything down for that <laughs> i did not um, wait did i that's a good it question was, uh, <laughs> pretty long i believe it was before the one we just talked about so maybe you didn't uh, well it was called minerals for a bicentennial year yes i did and... write stuff down for that sorry i uh i, I, I screwed, no, screwed I up you're gonna skip it because i didn't really write anything down it was just significant mineral discoveries of the past year and they're like in mexico we got this stuff I, yeah so in brazil they found this stuff in the u.s hey I, red white and blue i didn't i didn't understand the direction of the article yeah because it you know, it makes it out to be, like, the name, like, Minerals for a Bicentennial Year. Like, that makes me think, like, something about America, <laughs> because 1976 is America's Bicentennial, and it's not, like, Brazil and, like, Central America. So, just... but then they just went on to talk about all these different minerals from all around the world, almost like a recap of, like, international markets. And I was like, yeah, what is Yeah, it kind this? of was just a recap. Like that has nothing, I mean, nothing to do with America. Why are you calling it Bicentennial Because minerals? 1976 was the Bicentennial year. And that's... You don't even need to say 1976. You just say Bicentennial year. And everybody knows what you mean. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't really... You know, I guess I'm you changing could... the subject real quick. I am somewhat of a fan of those on-the-street interviews where they ask people questions and they make them look really stupid. I wonder how many people even know when the bicentennial is. If we just went and we we're like, when's America's bicentennial? How many people would be like, uh, uh, 2000? Like, nobody even knows. Well, they did know in the 70s. <laughs> they probably knew in the 80s, too. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't. It's just mineral disc. I'm curious. I assume that's just something they put in every. Uh, what do they call it? The Rock Hound and Lapidary Guidebook for the Year issue. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, they were like, in America, we've got this red, white, and blue. Here's a red mineral that was discovered, and a blue, and a white, and that was. I guess that was the link. I don't know who who the audience is for that. Like. Oh. Not me. Because I mean, yeah. Yeah, okay. Who do you think the audience is for gifts from your Tumblr? Part three. From everybody's favorite writer, Dixie Douglas. Who's the audience? People who aren't too handy. I think it's people that own a bottle of glue. Uh. Because 
<laughs> and, uh, yeah, you only own glue. <laughs> in this installment of Gifts from Your Tumblr, uh, yeah, it's just basically like, what are all the things that you could glue a rock it's kind onto? Of like a, wasn't that last part two also? Yeah, she just picked some different stuff. <laughs> she just picked some different stuff. I mean, she was like, you can glue a rock onto a ring. You can glue it onto a necklace, a pin, like a a shade pool for like. That was the one that I liked. <laughs> that was the one that I liked. It was like a if you have like mini blinds, yeah. like a little knob, you can make a little knob. Yeah. That like for pulling those, the blinds up. People have those. We they don't them, even. We had them in our kitchen up until like a like a, a little. We started our remodel. Oh yeah, but we we <laughs> never pulled it. Also, uh, they those blinds don't come with a pull anymore. It's just like built in. Like it's not like a dangling string because that's dangerous. I'm thinking about making this like extreme choking hazard. Yeah. And it doesn't have the little plastic breakaway knob uh, at the bottom, like. Yeah, I guess that's a good use for what you get a rock and you like, drill a hole in it. I think she was just gluing. I think she was gluing. She like glued a, a little cap that onto it with a bail. doesn't seem ideal because you kind of grab and pull at it. Yeah. One thing that uh, um, I didn't really know anything about was uh, Ming thing. I don't know what that okay, is. Okay, so yeah, she mentioned a Ming thing tree. Yeah. And these are things... <laughs> Ming thing trees are things that I've seen before, and we've seen them actually uh, oh, at rock shows yeah, okay. in cases... So pretty much, imagine uh, you take a, let's say, palm-sized, hand-sized, fist-sized rock, and you take wire, and you twist the wire around that rock, and then twist it up like the trunk of a tree. So you have like the wire holding the trunk to the tree. It's almost like the roots going around the base rock, and it branches out, mm-hmm. and you put little polished rocks at the end, and it's kind of like this little wire and polished rock yeah, those can tree look, like can that's look neat. um i've seen those but i didn't ever have the yeah. name to connect to it i was never like oh that's a great ming thing like but that's a that's what they call them shouldn't, like describe how to do it I had it to, like, seems like a whole sort of cat hobby like, yeah. doing that she's just like you can make these seems like more of an advanced skill uh for those of you that uh watch the youtube channel um, if you go back to the Spokane Rock Rollers 2022 show video, there was a display case that also had um, a little stone Snoopy on a little stone house that had a bunch of those, that had some of those trees mm. in there as well. Mm. And Snoopy. Mm. I wonder. Stone Snoopy? Yeah. I don't remember. Oh, stone Snoopy. That was the, one of the best, best mm-hmm. things. Um, I wonder if in Gifts from Your Tumblr Part 4, She's going to talk about making a stone Snoopy in Woodstock. Yeah. <laughs> I had the feeling there wasn't, this was the final installation. I don't know if there's going to be a part four. Well, maybe Dixie Douglas will rear her head again in future issues. One thing she said was you take a rock and you use it as the center of a icing flower, like cake icing mm-hmm. flower, but, and you put it on a cake. Don't bite it. Yeah, she's like, oh, nobody's choked on it yet. Oh, you don't really even see the rock that much when you make an an icing flower, unless she was making more simple ones. And I, 
I'm thinking of. <laughs> Usually you just put like a ball of frosting and you like cover it basically. So I don't know why. That didn't seem like a great idea. There was an article that I had a hard time getting through. And that was the jewelry making article. Now, yeah. uh, I'm not sure how accurate the article was as far as like discussing jewelry. Uh, but they made some huge critical mistakes in that article and i was really like i had to have to fact check literally everything in this because uh yeah it's uh really bad start it was just like the earliest known jewelry is here so and then we know about this we found these and it had like drawings well yeah i i question it because um it started out by stating that jewelry making begin began in the stone age which was 10,000 years ago. Well, the Stone Age actually started 2.6 million years ago. And, uh, yeah, so, like, they're very off on some of this stuff. Um, And then it lasted to 3,300 B.C., and that's when the Bronze Age started. So, like, for their little history lesson at the beginning, I'm like, all right. And then later in the article, uh, they state that some of the earliest creating of skillfully made beads and rings and belts and pendants go to the Egyptians of the Neolithic period, which extended from 10,000 to 4,000 BC. But in ancient Egypt, the Neolithic period would shifted based upon like the different uh, cultures, like Neolithic period of Mm -hmm. ancient Egypt is different than elsewhere. Uh, Lasted until the proto-dynastic period, which was 3,150 BC. So yeah, like like they try to make it out to be this whole like, oh, I'm gonna like educate you. I'm like, well wait. Even basing it off of their numbers, at the beginning they're like the Stone Age, ten thousand years ago. That's when it started. Oh wait, but also the ancient Egypt's ten thousand years ago. Like, mm. wait, no, like you guys uh are you're stretching it here. You're not you're not thinking it through. Yes, it was like that really long history of jewelry, and then they're like, well, what trends are we seeing, like, for the next year, and that was it. But I thought it was interesting, the trends, they're like, jewelry trends, uh, in fashion, men's body jewelry, even big muscular men are having their ears pierced, and like, in for women, sweaters. That's not... So men are getting their ears pierced and women are getting their ears double pierced. <laughs> which... Is, was that really that new? Like, didn't people have crazy pierced ears back in Not in 76. Hmm. Oh. Well, it must have, like, really taken off because I feel like people had very pierced ears. In the later 70s <laughs> to the 80s, at least. Um... I thought it was interesting. I guess maybe is this true? They said Iran's currency was backed by old ancient jewelry. I'm not sure. I didn't look that one up. I stopped after I was like, oh, wait, your Stone Age date is totally wrong. I'm like, I'm not going to sit here and read Wikipedia entries for every stupid thing that they said in their stupid article. Well, if it's true, it's interesting. Uh, there was a, not even like an article, but a little listing of faceting teachers. Mm-hmm. 
And I thought it was interesting they listed one of the colleges here, but like no name. They're just like the college. <laughs> call like everything just call else. The, call their directory. Yeah, everything else is like somebody's name, but this one's just like no, the college, the fascinating teacher. Like at least put the person. Clearly there was a fascinating teacher mm-hmm. there. Why not put their name? Uh, there's an article called Setting Up Shop, and uh, it's an article discussing on how to kind of like set up your own like rock lapidary shop, like some of the different machines that you you might want in your shop. Um, they did make a really good point, though, uh, that I kind of agree with, and that's the importance of having a nice shop space, like something, and that can mean whatever to you, but like having that kind of like calm like peaceful distraction free place like Mm. is kind of a big deal when you're trying to like focus and like work on stuff um Mm -hmm. which i don't that isn't something i've ever seen discussed with you know like there's a lot of shop talk things um in these magazines and even today and nobody's ever like have a place that's nice and i kind of like that Mm. um there was however one thing in this article that I, when I read it, kind of made me mad. Kind of, okay. that's kind of like, this is mad. Um, the author was recounting a time he went to somebody's basement sale, I guess like a garage sale, okay. and passed through a small room of equipment for like faceting and uh, that. And it had a, a shelf of books on the subject. And he was surprised because he thought he knew everybody that was into faceting in the area. (laughs) And he was like expressed his interest and uh, found out that there was a man who taught himself how to do faceting all from all from the books Uh and belonged to none of the clubs and never went to rock shows. He just like got some books, got the machine Mm -hmm. and his wife proudly showed him the trays of gems. And he said that they were terrible. He was just like, yeah, they were terrible. He literally said that in the ad. He's like, yeah, she came and showed me the gems that he cut, and they're awful. Um, so like, so I left. He said I left a note inviting him to visit our faceting group, but never heard from him. Uh, the moral of the story is, don't sit in a corner by yourself. <laughs> and I'm like, that guy sounds like a dick. Yeah. And you know, like, I have seen people's faceted gems that have only been self-taught, bought the machine, watched the videos, bought the books, and taught themselves. I have an extensive library on subjects of rock hounding and minerals and geology and all of that stuff, and I've learned so much from them. I think 80, like something like 80 books on these topics, right? And to think that somebody would be like, dumb you're dumb you didn't go you didn't go to our club like get the hell out of here with that like that guy's dumb right like yeah what did his note say was like hey uh looks like uh you know yeah your stuff sucks like you should come down to some instruction you should come to our club like why didn't he contact us yeah like if that guy was if that guy was alive today you'd just be like an internet troll yeah i mean if that guy likes it and obviously if his wife was proudly showing off what he made, probably that guy is proud of it. Like, if you're proud of it, who cares? Like, he wasn't trying to sell them. He wasn't trying to just, like, look at my cool stuff. Don't be mean. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If somebody's happy doing something, mm-hmm. like, you know, and then, like, also, if you actually think it through, if, if that was the actual situation, as he described in the article, um, maybe she didn't even grab, like, the yeah. latest stuff. Like, you know, did this guy's first 10 things he facet look amazing? Right? Like, if I was like, hey, Sarah, go into the shop and find a rock that I did something to. And it's and yeah, it represents and, me to like show to someone else like maybe you don't grab the thing that I think of or like right. you grab something that I did three years ago like yeah, I don't you know like yeah. I don't know but he and then he just went on in the article to be like oh yeah like join clubs like go learn from these people like all this stuff I'm like just because that works for you doesn't mean yeah. anything and there's a lot of different ways to learn stuff. You think they had videos on faceting? that you bought to show you how to do it? I haven't seen any ads for like a VHS yeah, or like a either. wait, beta? Yeah. Really? Betamax? I guess so. Um, or real to real? No, real to real films? A little different to learn something from a book versus a video. So, I mean, I can see the benefit of seeing something done in real time versus like photo, photo, photo. And like we know from the magazines that photos don't exactly show things clearly all the time um i have uh oh God, i'm gonna butcher his last name john uh, i can't think of it john something uh his book gem cutting from 1955 and he has a great chapter in there on fasting using faceting machines mm-hmm. and after reading it i feel like you could plop me in front of a faceting machine and i could definitely make a thing yeah. um and then with practice i can make something decent i think mm. um so you know whatever it is that is what it is i guess like you know but it's interesting that was the first time i've read an article in this where i'm like that guy's an asshole yeah what's the next article i only have one more because i i have one more okay. and that is map maker to the rock hounds and yes. uh this is good this is a good article i like uh-huh. this one um i thought that so Basically, uh, it's an article about a guy and uh, Dale Heilman. Heilman? Uh, well, sure. Whatever. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't feel bad butchering <laughs> his name. But uh, yeah, so it's interesting to me because maps are something that people fail at miserably. Yeah. There is zero reason to publish a garbage map. Especially now. Especially now, and even back in the 70s, there's plenty of tools at your disposal to aid you in hand-drawn maps, good maps, like whatever the thing is. There's plenty of resources available. Like, you could go... In 1976, everything was mapped. Maybe not, like, all the old logging roads and all Mm -hmm. that stuff, but, like, for the most part, you could have a map... And use it as the basis for drawing rock deposits, mineral deposits, Which is as, a, as an amateur. What he did. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, so he made his own like rock maps to sell. Like that was kind of like it. Like yeah. I mean, um, and... he was basically just kind of like angry about people's terrible maps, mm-hmm. and he was like, "I'm going to do it myself." 
And I, there was also a really long rant in there about, like, the quality of four-wheel drive yeah, vehicles. Yeah, so he, like, takes his four-wheel drive vehicle out, and he drives around, and he maps stuff. And, yeah, he's like, four-wheel drive vehicles, by the way, they have all these things wrong with them. Yeah. Well, uh, I wanted to – there's some photos mm-hmm. in the magazine of the maps, and uh, those will be up on the website. Uh, you can go check that out up in, under episode number seven on currentlyrockhounding.com slash podcast, and you can go check it out. But uh, at the time of recording this, uh, you can jump on Amazon and buy them. Oh, wow. Yeah, you can buy these huh. maps, these beautiful – All six buy three of them Mm -hmm. on amazon and ebay yeah for twenty dollars right now with four dollars shipping so Mm -hmm. i didn't buy them because i'm a cheapskate um they're also maps of like southern california yeah but not uh, exactly a place we go much yeah (laughs) they are out there and they look very nice they're very uh well done well done maps and uh i kind of like his whole motivation through disappointment yeah um kind of resonates with me a little bit because a lot of what i do is is precisely that like Mm -hmm. the videos um were the motivation to do the videos was because i was disappointed in everything that was out there the motivation for the website was because the few rock hounding websites out there were they are trash they were trash they still are trash. So I'm trying to do the opposite. Um, and I kind of like that as like a motivating factor in doing something good. Being like, this thing makes me mad. Or you, I hate this thing. Don't just like dwell on the hate. But be like, I'm going to make the best dang maps there are. And that was that's kind of cool. I kind of like that. Uh, I liked he... It didn't seem like he had any sort of... Like background in map making or geography or anything he showed an example of what he does he like drives to an intersection and he stops and he makes this like 20 character line of like code where he's like c for gravel or road and then like a number for something else and then like Oh, how f- does the road bend or does it go straight? Okay, if I went straight, what kind of road is it? Does it bend? Does it go straight? And it was like this crazy code that he made up, which I feel like there probably was better ways to go about it. But if that worked, clearly it worked for him. So, you know, you don't have to have like a deep educational like background in something to do it. It reminds me of the crew change guide. Yeah. Now, uh, that would be its own full podcast, and I figure we can touch on that lately here. The crew change directory guide is put out by this guy named Paul, and Paul uh, has been traveling around America hopping freight trains for 20, 35 years, and maybe longer, 35 years, 40 years. And has produced a directory on how to go about getting on freight trains. And he has a similar code system mm. where it's like everything's abbreviated and like you yeah. can learn the code. And once you've learned the code, like you know, like go here, turn east, go blank, this road, mm. like yeah, everything's abbreviated 
and you can quickly decipher it. And once you yeah. stare at it long enough, like your mind looks at, you know, yeah. RRX and you're like railroad crossing and then railroad overpass and all these different, different things. So it, it definitely, uh, made me think of that. So, uh, it said he devised an electronic navigation system that would record the direction he's going, the distance, and like make that into coordinates. And then he had some sort of thing that displayed and tracked the coordinates, which seems, what did he say? He was an electrical engineer. So yeah. I think so clearly was technologically knowledgeable. But And he said he like was talking to companies and like the government to like sell his <laughs> proprietary, not proprietary, but his like own his, like, invention. Div- invented GPS system. And, yeah. Like I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um, do you have any other comments? I didn't like how Rock and Jam Magazine set this article up. So the articles, there's three columns of text on each page. And then sometimes there's one of those columns, at least most pages, the out- outer column is ads. And this article was a total of eight columns so two pages and two columns three pages but it was spread out over eight pages there was multiple pages with two columns of ads and one column of text yeah and i get that probably the ads are where they make the money for sure but it felt very excessive to be like turn the page one column turn the page one column like that was too much. You got to run that 1970s ad blocker. Oh. That's a sheet of white paper. Oh. <laughs> a sheet of white paper to cover them up. Yeah. Yeah, I agree that uh, this was definitely an advertisement intense issue. Yeah. And I didn't like how some of the formatting is. Like, sometimes uh, many of the articles or even some of the columns will be split. It'll be like a column will start on page six, yeah. continued on page 26, continued on page 40. And I'm like, come yeah. on. Like, can we just like put them together? Like, one you... where it was one column, but the first two thirds was a continuation of one article, and the last third was a continuation of another article. And yeah, it was. It's not. The uh, priority is the ads, I think, and the less of the reading experience. But yeah. Definitely. Well. In the next episode of the Previously Rock Coming Podcast, we'll be looking at Rock and Gem Magazine from May 1976. Silver and fire agates. Field trips from Baja to Utah. Basics of carving. How to clean minerals. Bicentennial jewelry. And jewelry of the Zodiac. You'd think at this point they wouldn't be like, hey, Baja, we got Baja, guys. How many more issues are going to have Baja? Hopefully it's not Jewelry of the Zodiac Killer. Oh. Wait, what year did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) We'll find out next time. If you like this kind of content, you can subscribe to us on all the major podcast platforms. And you can find links to the other things that we do uh, on YouTube and Instagram by visiting the website, currentlyrockhounding.com. And I will catch you guys on the next podcast.